Welcome to another FinTech Insider. This is a State of the Union show. I'm Sam Mall, the managing partner for 11FS here in North America, and continuing a theme that seems to be happening with State of the Union. Every time we've done one of these, we've been in a different city in the U.S. It's almost as if we planned that, and in all honesty, we have not <laughs> at all. Joining me today are Jason Bates. Jason, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Sam. How are you? Really good. And a, a special guest that you're going to get very used to his dulcet tones, and we'll explain why later. Hey, Doug. Doug Bobbinhouse. Greetings. Nice to be here. You traveled far, at least like four city uh, blocks. I think, yeah, about five blocks. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Doug's hometown, Chicago, Illinois. Um, not Jason's first time in Chicago. Actually, we were talking about this last night at the airport. You've spent quite a bit of time, actually, yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, back in my consulting days, uh, Accenture had their global training headquarters here. So I've had a, a good few nights out in Chicago. You know, it's funny. Uh, back in the 90s, I worked for Northern Trust, massive white bird bank out of Chicago. The 90s were good. Were the, ni- the 90s were good, Doug. What were you doing in the 90s, Doug? You knew that was coming. You know. Um, what, what did you do during the 90s, Doug I used, to come to, I used to come to Chicago a lot in the 90s to play uh, a little bit of the rock and roll. You were a lead singer in a band known as the Sun Sod in Half. YouTube, everybody, go out there, buy the album. On this State of the Union show, though, a couple things we want to do. We want to focus in a little bit on Chicago, because I like that theme. We've done that on other shows. Talk about it as a standpoint of a fintech hub, what it's like here, the type of companies we see, and outside observations. So, you know, a young man like myself coming to Chicago, living down in Florida, and spending a lot of time in the South and New York, what's going on in Chicago? And Jason, from your standpoint, kind of that outside in look, right? So I, I think that would be fascinating. And then after the break... We will spend some time t- reflecting on 2017, kind of an outlook at 2018 too, but from a U.S. perspective, all right? So kind of that year end, let's take a look at what's going on, all right? But first, let's spend a little bit of time talking about Doug Bobbinhouse because we have somewhat of an announcement, I think it's safe to say, right, Jason? This is your, I guess if I say coming out <laughs> party, <laughs> my wife will wonder what's going on. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. So we've Doug is now... Part of 11FS, part of the family. Woohoo! That's exciting. We we should let people know that you and I have known each other for quite a long time. By the we, way, we we have known each other for a long time. Um, I believe that you tried to sell me some services that I said no to. Not at from 11FS. Everybody. No, 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 no. But, I did. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, your your sales technique was great. <laughs> <laughs> But not effective enough it to was, actually. It was just sell a matter of it was a matter of the products we you had uh, on offer. Thank God times have changed, right? Yeah. Um, Doug, talk a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Um, kind of sure. what's your? Oh, how do you put it, Jason? What's your jam? Super, what's your jam? Oh, okay. We're gonna stay with music. Yeah. So, um, so like we said before, I, I came to Chicago uh, a lot during the '90s playing music, and uh, and eventually. After doing quite a bit of uh, technology consulting, web web consulting in St. Louis, uh, where I'm from, um, I wanted to take the jump and move to Chicago. And um, uh, I, I managed to convince uh, a bank here in Chicago, West Suburban Bank, uh, to uh, to bring me on to, to help them with their their prepaid card efforts um, in the early 2000s. And so, uh, the help new, them. D- new new days. Very new days of of prepaid, right? 
um, you know, I, I brought a deal to the table to do a promotional card um, for uh, for rent.com. Um, and, and the way that I found them was basically rent.com. You don't remember rent.com. You, rent. you, you have to enunciate rent.com. <laughs> Um, rent.com, uh, you know, I was looking to move to Chicago and just because it's a great city and rent.com had apartments on offer in Chicago. And, uh, I logged into there and, and, uh, and they had an interesting business model. You could basically, if you rented an apartment in wherever you're going to rent, um, they would pay you a hundred dollar check. And I said, that's silly. That's so outdated. You should really be issuing, you know, cards to do that. And so... I just called uh, their biz dev guy and said, hey, why don't you issue, you know, cards for this? And, and they said, what are you talking about? And um, eventually I, I convinced them it was a good idea. And uh, and I had been doing some work for, uh, for a guy who used a bank in Chicago to issue cards in St. Louis. And, um, and I called the bank up and said, hey, you know, I have a deal for you. And they said, well, you know, if you, if you close the deal, you know, we'll hire you. And eventually that's what happened. So... Uh, so I moved to Chicago, worked which for... Is, which is interesting because, yeah. you know, from my background, from yeah. European fintech, and we've just spent the last few days with a client out in the Midwest yeah. looking at how you really develop those next generation services for, for financial services. Yeah. And the standard modus operandi, the standard approach, really does seem to be get some kind of commodity product, an account you can move money in and out of that has a card attached, that has balance, that has a, a license, a charter connected mm -hmm. to it and then layer services on. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at least in the UK or in Europe with N26 and Revolut and Monzo and everyone else, you know, prepaid cards have been, a, uh, I guess, a big part of that. Yeah. Is that something you see in the US as well? Yeah, but kind of in a different, different angle. Um, I think the banks in the US in early days of prepaid were really unwilling to take consumer deposits. Um, it was more of a distribution model for funds. So maybe stepping in for, uh, for rebate payments or for, um, you know, uh, corporate incentive cards, things like that, where it was mostly corporate dollars going out either to employees or consumers. Right. And, um, and so those were, you know, those were the early applications, you know, eventually you started getting into payroll cards, still corporate funds, but, but going into an FDIC insured account. Mm. Um, and then eventually, you know, these uh, general purpose reloadable cards, GPR cards in the U.S. Uh, became something that, that had, you know, were in full force and, and people started to innovate on that platform. Yeah, companies like Green Dot really right. took off, founded by Radio DJ. There's music theme. Keeps That's right. Wow. Time being in uh, uh, were they aimed at the, the unbanked or the unbankable? Or, because it, it seems that from the guys I've spoken to in the US, there's, there's still a stigma around prepaid cards as a, as a vehicle, even though I look at them yeah. and think, wow, it's just such a building block you can build so many interesting things on. Yeah, they definitely were originally intended for the underbanked and unbankable, and 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 part of the problem that that the U.S. has, uh, you know, from a consumer standpoint, is that they uh, they tended to have pretty high fees, and and still do in some cases. Um, in fact, you know, there's been a, a fair amount of regulatory discord over, uh, you know, what is a prepaid card allowed to do. And, um, and so, you know, if you issue a prepaid card, you know, you're likely to have to face a lot of disclosure rules that may not apply to other kinds of financial products, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being very obvious about your fee table and things like that. Remember the, um, back in the day, I'm trying to remember when this was, 
the Kardashian prepaid card. Do you remember that? Did that did that make its way over to the UK? No, that I'm it aware didn't of. make its way out of out of <laughs> beta. Out of beta, yeah. I think they issued like two cards. Yeah, and it was right at, right at the top. Right, it was something like a hundred bucks, ninety nine dollars yeah. fee straight out the gate for this thing. And yeah, somehow that crashed and burned. By the way, the Kardashian card. That's what it was Kardashian called. Kardashian card, right? Because I'm still interested in that in the how you develop uh, new products and propositions here. Because on one hand, the prepaid card is a, or the, the stored value card, or, or something where it's someone else's charter, it's someone else's license. You can create a company that then yeah. layers services on. I see as a, a strong view. Uh, and then on the other hand, you've got Simple Move and you know, the OGs of the, the neobank world that had their banking relationship and that actually it was you know a, a bank behind the scenes that they had a partnership with right so yeah. for our american audience and and we are drink what is this we're drinking again Tom? uh eagle rare very nice uh bourbon okay so for our, our Kentucky? american audience I'm, I'm here to translate as usual when we say og because jason has, has got great phraseology um, the old guard if you will he's being very um i'm getting big political gangster. You are going. We're in Chicago, okay? Be careful when you say gangster. <laughs> duck. Duck now. Duck now. We're only in the second floor here. We got off the, uh, we, we, we got into the airport yesterday pretty late, and uh, we took the, whatever that line is, blue line? Blue line. Blue line in, the rail system, um, in, and, and we were in the neighborhood, and I told Doug, this is a pretty cool neighborhood you live in. I like this part of town. But, but I, I like how you, um, Jason, trying to give him that, that history story of fintech. If you will, when you look at Simple, when you look at Moving and, and those early movers, right, as they came in, um, and you look at it from a prepaid standpoint, right? I mean, that that's Starling, that's Monzo, that's that's where that's a starting point. Yeah, yeah, it's that it's that view of well, on one hand, how are the banks going to iterate? I mean, we've just had a three day workshop with uh, with some senior execs looking at how they actually get to to try new products and propositions quickly which is that startup ethos it's not spend a long time creating something or a business case around whether we should make a decision in order to launch something in two years you've got that uh, that two-pronged approach i guess the improving a bank mid-size small size and we should really talk you should you guys should really explain to me why there are ten thousand banks in the in the u.s um but but on one hand you've got the improving the bank building on its services, improving those six already successful businesses. On the other hand, how do then they try and launch new propositions in the current regulatory environment? And what are the building blocks? Because I, I I, really think there's, there's something interesting about this commodity financial product that you then layer intelligent services around that de- deliver against a particular customer segment. And it doesn't have to be a bank that does that. No. And I think that, you know, even I, I started a company called Syncology back in 2009 that you know had an aim to um, issue financial accounts, uh, basically debit and savings accounts to non-bank brands uh, with rewards. So basically looking at the uh, co-brand credit model and, and then pursuing that on a debit side. Um, we, we took that exact ethos. We, we said, let's use a core processor as, as a ledger. Um, let's use them as a switch, but let's build a middleware uh, on top of that, and then let's build user experience on top of that, and um, and there weren't many people doing that, you know. And to to actually take that approach and not use the uh, out of the box services available from the processor or the bank um, was something that you know took a lot of effort at the time, 
And I think that, you know, you know, APIs available to us on those platforms were pretty shoddy. You know, they were they were put together and they were referencing scripts and things like that on the back end of the processor. So um, things have changed, you know, a lot. Um, there are more modern services available. And, you know, in the, in Europe, I think even more so. Um, the, the reason that you guys were able to uh, to test propositions on those platforms is because you know sure of course there's APIs you can you can affect these transactions you can you can get things in real time um, it's been slower coming in in the US because I think there's just been uh, uh, an unwillingness to move by the big processing players uh, so it's taken new players to emerge into the market uh, that did approach you know the with that exact thing in mind do you, do you think doug that especially with your background um and expertise when it comes to prepaid and the processing side and all of that one of the distinct advantages and we brag about this a lot from 11 fs standpoint is how quickly we can spin up and and get in market right and really build off of using someone else's if you will charter core um infrastructure and get into market that quick because we did that and we've we've slightly bragged about that maybe like eight weeks from nothing to walking down the high street and buying a mince pie can you do that in the u.s um it's not as easy but oh okay we're done Doug, <laughs> uh, your time at 11 fs was wonderful wah, wah. <laughs> that was a test no um it's it's not as easy but but yes the is the answer um i think that you know you look at at some of the new processing players that are that are out there now um, you know, are set up to do that. And, um, and I think if you, if you establish a base layer of, you know, that commodity account and then iterate on it, um, I think it's absolutely possible. Because whether you want to do a, a savings product, you know, an acorns, a digit, that yeah. intelligent savings thing, or family accounts or savings pots or a transactional account, actually the, the fundamental primitives for that yeah. are pretty similar. Uh, and, and and that's platformification, the who's going to run that underlying infrastructure and then what are we going to layer on top and who's going to have the customer relationship. We're seeing being legislated in the EU with PSD2 and the open banking side. But even in places where there's not that legislation, there is still that platformification of the the propositional side being able to move a lot faster because it's built on something that moves a little slower underneath the, the product. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you know, the the workshops that we did over the last couple of days, you know, pretty good indication of that, right? It's like, you know, if you're a, if you're a medium or large size bank, you're likely to have developed a bunch of technology in-house that is going to be harder to evolve on top of. If you're a smaller or mid-sized uh, institution, you're probably using stock services available from a processing partner. Yeah, and, the Jack and Henry's, the FIS, Pfizer's of the yeah, world. Yeah, right? and, and yeah. you're you're reliant on whether or not you know you know are they making uh, are they making their systems open so that you can do something cool with them, or are they trying to box you into using you know their full suite? And and the answer is the latter, of course. Um, and, and but so, actually, for the marketing push for those players in Europe is becoming much more open stack. Right. marketplace connecting yeah. what you want. They don't want. have a choice there. No, no, yeah. that's true. But yeah. I, I wonder how product development is, is driven yeah. because actually they have massive markets in the US and, and whether that European trend will make its way over in terms of plug and play rather than you buy the full stack and I'm going to lock you in. Well, in the same way that I think we're having, uh, you know, the, 
especially kind of in the middle market of banks are having kind of an oh shit moment. Um, you know, we, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, oh my gosh, capital is, is, uh, is in, in market and they're going to start issuing, you know, cards or, you know, you know, how, these, these, uh, Venmo's issuing cards and that's a deposit account now and they, can they take a direct deposit? Mm, you know, um, so, you know, these banks are trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to compete with that? And the processes are doing the same thing, right? And and so if they start to get demand uh, there, you know, but they just haven't moved, right? They haven't moved in the, in, in the same way the middle tier banks haven't haven't moved. Um, so you have um, you have new entrants coming into the market um, and and bringing more flexible platforms to play um, where you can actually, you know, you can affect a transaction in the middle of an authorization stream. That was never possible on any of the big platforms. I mean, set a rule setup so that you can say, you know, do I want to fund that from this account or that account? Do I want to push stop on my account so that nobody can use it when I leave it at the bar? That's like a what would you call it? Intelligent services, Jason? <laughs> yeah. That tattoo you have on your, your arm? <laughs> I know. People are going to get bored of me saying it, but the, I really do think that, that move from, well, not the move from, the building on commodity products into services. And therefore, who are the players that provide those products and where are those services? And does a mid sized bank, and I'm still fascinated by the US market of like so many thousand players, surely that. That has to shake out at some point, especially as we get to the point where the branch becomes less of a pull. And the fact that I have, you know, five branches in this state, does that really battle against a national player or an international player that just has that scale and the ability to give you great digital experiences? Right. So I think in the U.S. you've seen you've seen these national plays happen with some of the prepaid programs, but they've really been focused just on the on the um, sort of the lower end of the market. Um, you know, the the net spends and the green dots have had pretty big success, and, and Bluebird from Amex, and you know, there've been some other pretty big programs that have that have done okay. That have caught attention, by the way, net spend acquired by Tesis a few right. years back, right? As a good example of how you can take a, a large service provider and processor and really get in market. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you haven't really seen a, you know, Simple made a, a good run at, at trying to be, you know, a, a neobank in the U.S. Um, uh, you know, they still started out not as a prepaid program, but sort of using a similar approach. Uh, it was a it was a DDA uh, on somebody else's uh, charter and, and um Oh, you, you just, I have to come to this. Yeah. What you just said. DDA. This DDA is sitting on top of someone else's charter. You talk about oh shit moments, Jason, that we've had maybe over the past week and in a, in a couple of the workshops we do. But that idea of operating on someone else's charter, I think I enjoyed that more than anything else this week, hearing that comment made, right? And the realization around that. You, you've got some actually interesting uh, stories, if you will, around that, 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 that you've shared, that idea of, you want to get in fast, right? How do you get in fast, right, on a new service? Yeah. To think well, differently. Well, it's that. It's those dual drivers of, well, we were talking about military. You, Sam was in submarines. So we talked about the military metaphor oh, of. Infantry, too. Give me, give me credit, okay. everybody. Two years, I'm, I, I went through, I'm advanced infantry training in Fort Benning, Georgia. I just don't look like it. But it was in 1984. Shut up, Doug. It was in 1984. So that was eons ago. 
So anyway, so. so that using that military metaphor, you know, you've got the big army. It has its supply chains. It has its uh, its processes, its procedures, its training grounds. It's it's uh, what did you refer it refer to it as the force recons uh, coming out, but then the well, supply line chains. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I guess there's those two sides of things. There's the the special forces, force recon people, frontier scouts who have to go and live off the land in small groups and find out where to head. Uh, and then and got partner the, with the locals, by the way. Partner and with the speak locals. the language. Wow, this metaphor could get pretty, pretty I rich. Feel, Laura, I feel a blog post. Uh, <laughs> and on the other hand, you've got the army, which does the the big job, the big moving, and away they, you know, away you go. And it's whether the big army can do the force recon job, and the force recon job can do the big army approach. And therefore, if you're going to have a singular culture within a bank, uh, it's not going to be good at one of those areas. You're either going to be a great, big, successful, at-scale company that has efficiencies in driving customer value, uh, reducing costs, and moving along that that line, or you're going to be a, a startup searching for a replicable, new intelligent services business model. And I think what came out for us on the, these workshops we've been doing recently is that actually you have to have that uh, that schizophrenic approach. You actually have to be good at both. And can you do that within one organization or within one one construct? Um, right, can you because, search and... Right, because you think about, um, you know, what are the challenges that, that are faced by both groups? You know, if you're, if, you're a, if you're a large entrenched organization, you're the battalion, um, you know, you've got, you've got lots of customers, you've got lots of um, uh, revenue, mm-hmm. um, and you've got a, a large staff that, you know, and culture that's been, that's been there for a long time. And tech stack infrastructure and tech stack, supporting right? all yeah, of that, yeah. that you've and built it, over... Yeah. Decades. And you have to continue to evolve that. And, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a lot of work. And if you want, if you, if you're a, you know, you're, you're a young startup, um, you've got all the flexibility in the world. Maybe you're using somebody else's, uh, core, you're using somebody else's charter, you know, you're letting somebody else take the, uh, the risk, risk, the risk, my favorite risk. Yeah. That's, that's a word, right? I'm shifting risk. Holy (laughs) shit. I love this. But but we had a great moment like that with a, uh, with a bank in Europe. We're doing a a big project for where we went in and spoke to them about the fact that we were going to use some of their competitors license and infrastructure in order to test a new proposition for them. Now that was one of those mind blown moments. Like, you could you can't do that. oh you can. The executives Kaboom. I think were like the the what? We're going to use a competitor's license in order to develop a new proposition for us. And the answer was well, look, the the biggest risk to this new proposition is no one's going to care. So how do we how do we, it's the, it's not that we can't build it. We can build it, and we know we, we could over a period of time with enough money and enough resources, manpower. But is it going to work? And what's the fastest way of addressing that risk in that hardest commercial approach? And so, in order to do that, who is who is best placed to do that? Well, actually, one of your competitors has better APIs, and there's there's someone who's already using it, and it works like this. So we're just going to go going to take that route. And I think while it takes a while for for that to sink in. Suddenly, they start to uh, to think. Well, actually, there's less risk for us and our charter and our, our banking license, and uh, and we we're actually using a competitor in order to further our own business gains. There's something perversely pleasurable about that. But you know what? You know what's really what's really kind of cool about that, though, is that you know it, it's a two sided equation, right? So so you know the the competitor who they're using to do this 
you know, also has a business opportunity, right? You know, so in the U.S., um, there there have been, you know, I don't know, under five um, banks that have emerged as as we are going to help support the startup uh, uh, thing in in fintech in the U.S. So like Cross River, or some of these others you're yeah, referring to, you know, Bank, bank of Record, Reda, yeah. yeah, yeah, Bank of Record stuff. You know, well, that's not, old prepaid days, right? There was sure. only so many. You know, the Bank right. or you meant Benevante. There was only so many. You yeah, back into and uh, and so you know, do you do you set up your your financial institution to be the the water of of you know the, the innovation utility, yeah, the the utility of innovation right and um and sure so some of them have done that and um and so there's you know banks being banks for other banks you know that's it's it's a thing it's and a thing <laughs> it's a thing somewhere simon taylor just got really happy <laughs> it's a thing <laughs> we love you simon we we miss you um, is that a simonism that is a si- oh my god yeah alibaba did a thing yes that's uh that's simon so so jason is uh coming over from the uk and you look at this us market and you said this just a little while ago the sheer volume of players here the sheer volume of institutions the message going back to these mid-tier and smaller banks is don't give up, don't quit. You know, you're not Chase, you're not City, you're not Wells, but you can actually go out and play and test, and you don't have to spend a fortune. I like how you said it. We are definitely a, ch- a challenger consultancy company because you said my job is to make this unsexy and give you the raw truth about this. Yeah, I mean, we were talking to someone the, uh, a couple of days ago about if when you go in to talk to these banks or when the, the banks that we've been talking to, if you say to them, well, uh, what are you worried about? Or what are you scared about? The fact that there are big incumbents who are spending a ridiculous amount of money on digital, the fact that there's Facebook, Apple, Amazon, all of these are the players. It, uh, actually, the mindset of a lot of the bankers in these medium sized, you know, small to medium sized banks in the US seems to be quite defensive, quite worried. You know, there's some concern about where this is going to go. But from a, a startup entrepreneur perspective, I'm licking my lips. Like if I was in their position, you'd think it's, the positioning is perfect. You have a bank charter, you have banking staff, you have a balance sheet, you have distribution and customers. And now from rather than the 10 branches you've got in Texas, you can suddenly get to the point of you could offer something nationally that if it works, you know, if it really was customer centric and driven by the those jobs that need to be done and intelligent services and everything else, then you're away. And actually, even better than that, the big boys, the four or five big players in any country think that money and scale and being able to throw a thousand people at it is a positive. So we're still going that old, let's get a strategy consultancy in, let's get a big systems integrator in and we're going to take this. So the fact that actually these banks don't have that that money and do have the the imperative, you know, it's it's just a great setup. So I'm I'm interested in that mindset that that on one hand they're like, wow, we're in a really bad position. Yet from a tech entrepreneurial perspective, you're like, wow, you are in a great position to take advantage. Yeah, welcome of this. to the startup world, right? Uh, pressure and it becomes it becomes a, a a matchmaking effort almost it's you have these entrepreneurs who have really fantastic ideas and um and you have you have banks that that have really all the access that they need to the system maybe that's what we need to do like a uh, you know tinder for fintech entrepreneurs and mid-sized banks i love oh, it. we could just do it. we could love set that. them up across the country finder finder fender 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 yeah fender fender and somewhere in the nordics that probably exists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to reach out to open. But imagine bank. that. Imagine, you know, that uh, that we bought 
mid-sized, small, medium-sized banks that are that are looking for that with groups of people who who have those those propositions and things that need to be built. Because arguably, like they could really take the game to the big guys. Well, you think about um, you know it, it's the market's ripe for some kind of a uh, an actual marketplace, right? It's like if you're if you're if you're a bank that that gets comfortable with the idea of playing in this market, and you ha- you set up you know your set of you know risk parameters that you're okay with, and uh, you know you you lend your reg guys to to the to the situation, and you set up some some limits, but but then you open things up, you know. There's an opportunity. I mean, you look at um, you look at the sandboxes that the that the some of these new processors have, um, uh, Marketa Q2. Both of these guys have have really fantastic access to ledgers that you can build something on top of before you ever have a contract with them. Mm. You you just start building, and then eventually, when your product's finished, you knock on the door and say, "Here's my finished product. I built against your platform. Uh, you know, who should I bank it with?" Mm. And then there you go. Mm. But the the issue is, you know, are there enough banks that see that there's a, there's an opportunity there? You don't have to be. You know, these guys are not necessarily all trying to do some of the risky, lower-end, prepaid, you know, overdraft-driven, you know, things that the CFPB is scared of, uh, or scares them of doing. Um, you know, there's a lot of really solid business models out there. Um, so I think there's just serious opportunity for a marketplace to happen. Well, it's also not the I'm J.P. Morgan Chase. I set aside six hundred million dollars a year just to partner with fintech mm-hmm. companies, right? I mean, well, they're just trying to build a. They have a farm system, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. yeah. We, we jokingly said it's the Man United, you know, uh, yeah. New York Yankees approach. So if you're the Montreal Expos or the Minnesota Twins, Jason has no clue what I'm talking yeah, about. If you're I'm Bristol City, yeah. How do you, how do you compete? You know, and and how do you play? And I think it is this model. It's it's demystifying. It's taking all the sexy glamour out of it. And in a lot of cases, in watching Jason, especially in some of these workshops we've done and talks we've done, demystifying this and saying, "Look, here's the beer, here, here's the cold truth to this." And it's a lot better story than you think. Yeah. No, I mean the 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 line the uh, the discussion that. I've really been enjoying recently is this idea about taking the romance out of the startup digital innovation thing. Everyone's been looking at their digital innovation labs and there's normally lots of hand wavy stuff. We're going to reinvent this. We're going to reinvent that. But actually the the cold hard truth of startup life is you've got a limited amount of money in order to do something with, to show benefit, to to show growth. So all of the startup approaches are not let's test and learn, let's test and fail. No startup is set up to, to test and fail. It's how quickly you can uh, can disqualify ideas that are not going to work. So we need to talk to customers. Shall we set up an agency and put some money aside and talk to them in a few months? Like in a few months, we're going to be out of business. Let's talk to people today. So suddenly it's about the discomfort, but also that that drive towards hard commercial outcomes, which is what big banks want as well, or any kind of bank wants. So I love that that taking the romance out of it. I don't care about reinventing someone's interface. There are great interface patterns out there we can use. Right, let's let's do that. I don't care about reinventing the thing. It's like there are customer jobs to be done. We can do them better and we can launch and test something phenomenally quickly. Well, and part of that is that, you know, 
again, the big, the big institutions, right? They, they do too many things. Yeah. And you, you Boiling break these, the ocean, right? Yeah. We hear that how many times? You break, you break these things out and you have a, you have a company that, that all they do is round up your transaction so that you save some money and invest it. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. And look at how many customers, yeah. right? It's yeah. like... It's, I think this is a, a great place for us to, to jump into a break. Right before we do that, what I would say, if you're a banker and you're listening to this, right? And you're going, holy shit, what did they just say? We'd love to come and talk to you. You really should come reach out to any of us and let's have a discussion around this. Let Jason take all the romance out of your life. <laughs> Somewhere Aww. your wife's going, yeah, <laughs> that's Jason. Um, you know, we'd love to I don't know, Jason seems really romantic to me. Yeah, I mean, it's just, be quiet, Doug. So anyways, it just, we would love to come in and just ruin the romance for you. <clears throat> and uh, make this pretty much cut and dry for you. That so sounds like say, a song, it, Ruin the Romance. Oh, let's do it. Again, we're interwaving. You will be singing all through this episode. Michael's that good. So look, let's take a break. Let's hear from our sponsors, and then we'll refresh our drinks and come back. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to ft.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the innovation acceleration platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. All right, welcome back to Fintech Insiders, our State of the Union show. We are recording here in Chicago. Hopefully you hear the rumblings of the blue line behind us. That's a very Chicago-type feel. Again, this is uh, uh, what I like about it. This is kind of the intro to Doug Bobbenhouse, one of our, our new Hello. team members. And now he's gone again. We, we, he's done. we actually were in Doug's apartment earlier, and I'm like... Dude, that helium can you have over there to use to blow up balloons? I so wanted to bring that on this episode. <laughs> I thought that would be a nice twist. It's empty, man. It's, it, I, so again, you now you know everything you need to know about but Doug, Doug Bobbin like, House. Uh, as a as a local, yeah. Like, what's different about Chicago? Why would I do fintech, or why would I work with banks, or what what happens here? Well, Chicago has an incredibly long legacy of being a financial, you know, center. Um, I mean the. I don't, I don't have all of the historical uh, factoids at the tips of my fingers, but, you know, we've, we have this, the CME here, uh, you know, we have the CBOE, we have, I mean, the CME just basically... And, uh, and what's the CME? Uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, and they, uh, they, for instance, just, uh, just started uh, offering Bitcoin futures on their, on their platform. And, I mean, it affected the market directly. Uh-huh. You, you saw some pretty cool movement in bitcoin based on that event so where where are the the big financial centers and how does in the u.s and how does chicago fit into that yeah i mean so clearly new york um chicago yeah i'd say new york so we'll we'll circle come back to chicago but east coast gonna be new york right and then as you hit the south charlotte charlotte um atlanta atlanta richmond interesting with cap one atlanta definitely atlanta is really the payment hub Right, um, and payments just flow through Atlanta. Dallas is becoming a pretty interesting um, tech hub. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, um, out west, but in the Midwest, 
it really is Chicago. I mean, you know, you can say South Dakota, and Delaware. South Dakota, I mean, those are those are interesting things because if you're talking about innovation in in you know, then then you've got to go to you know Sioux Falls. Yeah, so it, it is fascinating to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Nice place. Um, you spent a lot of. T- that's where the first time I ever met you. That's Doug, right. Was in beautiful. Thank you for that. You get off the airport, you get off the plane, you walk through. It's literally hunting season. You, you buy your gun literally at the airport <laughs> and your camouflage and your license. Yeah. yeah, and then get in your car off the one terminal. Um, a lot goes through Sioux Falls. Same with Wilmington, Delaware. It's the way they do the tax structure. To I mean, bring there in there are there are, you know five round trip flights from Chicago to Sioux Falls every day. Right. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that tells you something. Something's going on there. Uh-huh. But Chicago as a powerhouse, and, and historically, so the yeah. geek in me is going to come out, all right? Chicago, traditionally, when you look at how the, you know, New York, obviously powerhouse, you go back 100 years or so, Chicago is kind of the gateway, Chicago-St. Louis gateway to the West. So the rail system that came through, the cattle industry that came through, and that was kind of the, the, the title it had, you know, rednecky, if you will, for a U.S. term. And then, um, you know, there's a great book about this, but the World's Fair came to Chicago. They beat New York. They beat D.C. And it really did put Chicago on the, on the map, if you will. And you've got old banks here. The bank I used to work for, Northern Trust, Global Bank, based out of here. I mean, there's so much um, from a financial services space here. I mean, and now you talk about fintech, Braintree. Braintree is here. I mean, when you think about Braintree, right, you mentioned Venmo earlier. We talk about PayPal. It's right here in Chicago. Yeah, right here in Chicago. Um, you know, Ven- Venmo is such an interesting story. You know, um, but the fact that that Braintree saw fit to to make that acquisition when they did, um, you know, is it was just kind of brilliant. I mean, um, the Chicago is Chicago is also just emerging as a great place to start. Um, to start a business, um, the infrastructure that exists here is is strong. The investor community is strong. They're going to want you to to have a real plan to make money. It, there's not there's no fluff allowed in Chicago investing. You, you, you can't, saying they take the yeah. romance out of it? No, they take the romance <laughs> Jason, out of investing. Yeah. You should move there here. You yeah. Go. yeah, yeah. You can't just come here with a, a pretty slide deck and and hope to get anybody's money. Mm-hmm. They're not. It's not going to happen. Not naming anyone. No. Um, <laughs> but the. Uh, you know, but if you have a real plan to make money and, and you, you, you can, you know, make somebody's processes more efficient or, you know, you, you, you can make trades faster or, you know, you can, you can, you know, find a way to make, uh, loans more, you know, more profitable, you know, give it a go. Um, you know, there's, there are some infrastructure, uh, or there's some support mechanisms that have really, uh, come into play here. Fintech Chicago, um, has been, has been really helpful. Um, there's a new, new, uh, kind of center of excellence called currency Chicago that uh, that Jason Hendricks has started and uh, and you know really drawing um, a lot of attention to um, to the you know uh, not just the idea of co-working but actually you know having that ecosystem mm. you know, yeah support. I've met Jason he yeah. seems to be one of those like guys who knows everyone and connects all of them together yeah Great Jason guy. knows everybody uh-huh. yeah yeah and not just in Chicago, all over the all over the the ecosystem in the country. Yeah. Another ex-military guy, by the way, West Point grad. When when we spoken to people before, he has a good name too. <laughs> when we spoken to people before about uh, about fintechs in the U.S., the thing that that seems to be one of the blockers is underlying financial infrastructure. So in the U.K., you know, we've got faster payments, which is 
almost instantaneous bank to bank transfer. We don't really have that check culture. We don't really have we don't have ACH. You know, it's not it, it taking a few days to clear things. Like, is it possible to do the same level of real time intelligent sort of services based fintechs in the U.S. at the moment? Well, of course, ask Nacho. Right, just instead of doing one batch file a day, you do three. <laughs> So we're Same done. day, ACH. <laughs> yeah. Rah, rah, rah. Is that, uh, so, so is a faster payments thing ever going to happen in the US, yeah, given state, federal, how many regulators, how many players? You know, how long did it take you to get chip and pin? And are you, is we that even still chip, chip and, and sign? It's chip and sig. Wow. Now, this is one of those things where, ah, we'll let the market sort it out. And then the market never Welcome does anything. Welcome to America. Right. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what we have here. Don't tell us what to do, damn it. Okay? I don't care what happens in Europe. You would take your socialism and let run us, away. Let us just go argue amongst ourselves until we don't have anything. Um, you know, it, it is a fantastic question, right? Because from a from a tech as a whole standpoint, the U.S. is a, is a tremendous talent and a tremendous leader. I mean, it, it is. You look at the companies that have started here, right, and, and that dominate in the space. And yet, and yet, and yet, we sometimes just cannot get out of our way. And payments is a fantastic example of that. Open banking, right? PSD2. Um, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show, and the whole concept of open banking. In the U.S., hmm, uh, it's going to be interesting. That's what I'm going to say. What we do and what, you know, we're going to obviously look at what happens. Yeah, I mean, does, does, the, uh, does, does the, you know, change in the current political landscape mean Oh, we're going to get there later. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> but you know, but, but does, 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 does regulation shift? you know, cause there to be an opportunity for something like that to happen or emerge, right? Yeah. But the other way of looking at it might be that this is well set up for that leapfrog, that actually without faster payments there, without that bank Kind of like what happened in Africa and Asia. Because you You don't have have the landline infrastructure, therefore you're off into mobile. Like, does this set up for, I don't know, blockchain payments or, or, or actually that... Venmo or one of those networks suddenly becomes the faster payments because it gets enough infrastructure there. You are literally the first person I've ever heard say that about the U.S. We talk about Africa constantly, right? Didn't have the 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 hurdles in front of them. Their legacy that that word we've heard right so much throughout the existence of Loan Invest, but that legacy blockers for that and for the U.S. to be the leapfrog. Have you ever heard anyone say that before, Doug? Is it the whiskey? <laughs> I don't think I've ever... That's interesting that you say that, though, Jason. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, and, and so how does that work? You look at M-Pesa, you look at different models elsewhere, and it works with someone getting critical mass and then using that to say, look, faster payments is never going to happen over here, but we have the equivalent in order to make that happen. And whether that's the sort of WeChat Alipay approach, because they are actually a scheme, you know, or whether it's... Venmo does their own rails underneath because suddenly they're open to merchants and individuals and and you can go national. Like where's that play? Or maybe so there could, is a play. Yeah, I was thinking of the WeChat part of that you put that, right? We've how much have we heard about Facebook and Messenger and the idea that they could yeah, and Apple Apple Pay I mean you know, having you know, that's it. Yeah, I yeah, you've you've befuddled me. <laughs> Sam Moore speechless. Time, Whoa. Well, you know, but but all of these all of those schemes sort of involve, you know, there being some somebody willing to put up a reserve for the velocity that's going to happen for the day. It's not really movement of money in in, you know, on a ledger, you know, between two parties. It's it's somebody being willing to willing to shepherd that pay, that payment. So right now we're still sort of under somebody's thumb if, you know, to to make it possible. 
Um, I do think that, you know, there's probably some sort of ledger play, you know, that, that lets that happen. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how do you get money out of the bucket that you keep it in every day for your everyday spend and get it over there so that you can actually move it around. Yeah, it it is interesting. I, I like how Jason, you kind of came back and said with these observations, right? As you come over to the U.S. and you look at this, yeah, because you know the U.S. fifty states, you know, um, even the distances you were talking about, right? We were on a however many hour flight last night. Um, it it is interesting to do kind of a comparison between Europe and what you see there, and what you see in the U.S. because we do have those wonderful state by state. Uh, restrictions and regulations and and their approach that they take you know we we do need to talk about um, some forecasting and we'll do that in a a couple minutes about do we think we're going to see a sea change when it comes to the regulatory environment in the u.s but i i found an interesting comment that came out and i don't remember when it happened this week um oh it was our conversation with a friend of ours last night when we talked about uh, a lot of consolidation with the banks right throughout the 90s because one of the, the one of the statements was if I'm the CIO of a bank, the last thing I want to do is run yet another core system, right? I've already got one now. Do I need another? And the comment our friend made made me laugh, which was, that's a bullshit. There's been so much consolidation in banking. You're already running two, three cores. Give me a break. <laughs> I love that comment. That was one of the funniest things I've heard in a while. It does make it, so again, it makes it interesting when we're looking at state to state, and there's a concept that you brought up of can we leapfrog? I, I don't know. Well, I mean... Part of the problem is, you know, we in the U.S. are super, super, super paranoid about, you know, money laundering. I mean, for good reason, right? I mean, you know, you don't want you don't want terrorist financing to happen, and you want to be able to say, you know, money going from here to there, you know, you know who it's coming from and going to. But well, even more than than that, right? I mean, we're the running joke. If you ever watched Oz or you watched the uh, the Night of, great show on HBO. Remember when he goes to prison in the Green Dot? Yeah, I'm not knocking Green Dot, everybody, but it was Green Dot. Use my card. It it literally it's like Venmo, yeah. right? Green Dot me. That was the prison currency, and in actuality, from a prepaid standpoint, that has been. Well, and it, the question is, you know, you know, what kind of KYC measures do you do when you open an account? And you know, if you if you're going to participate in a real time network, you know, what kind of hurdles do you have to go through to become part of the network as a as a participant? You know, whether you're a, it's a it's a it's an individual or a business, um, you know. I, I read something on Bank Innovation uh, yesterday about, um, you know, why isn't there a Zelle uh, for business, for SMEs? And, you know, great question, right? It's like there should be, you know. Um, Have you wh- used Zelle? Are you a big fan? So yeah. for, it's, I mean, for international yeah. listeners, like, what is yeah. Zelle? What is Zelle? Uh, uh, We're big grumble, banks. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We're big banks, yeah. and we want to do. We can do P two P. It's a consortium approach. I yeah, think that's a it nice is a consortium approach, right? So, um, who claims to have been moving a shitload of money? By the way, well, so so so, but what what specifically is Zelle from an end consumer perspective? What's the value proposition? So, if I have uh, if I have money in a checking account at Big Bank A, and you have an account at Big Bank B. Um, I can, and, and we go out to lunch together and I want to pay, you know, pay you back for, for lunch. I can log into the Zelle app and I, I send it to your email address or your, your phone number. And if you're, you know, if you're in the system, it'll, it'll tell you, you know, you just got paid. If you're not in the system yet, you register and, and tie your account to it. And then you, you'll see the money instantly. And not necessarily even the Zelle app. It could be my banking app. It's, you know, there's d- yeah. different ways. There's a couple of ways to get into the, the same network. It's obviously we got back to Braintree, right? right? Watching Venmo, watching the activity and what's happening there to say we can play too. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're the big banks, you're going to be really jealous of that traction that these guys have got. And oh, rightfully so. Right? Sure. I think yeah. they should look at that. Yeah. You look at a death at a thousand cuts, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if that exists, then, you know, uh, from, a, from from Zell's perspective, or from the consortium's perspective, it's a, it's a way to keep people in the system. Sure. So, you know, and it gets back to that consortium approach that, you know, you want to you see Zell... Um, and you're in Europe or even in the U.S., uh, reach out to us for the Pulse product. How's that for a <laughs> wonderful sell that we have? Because we have captured multiple of those journeys. Um, for a second, though, I want to circle back to Chicago because that's where we started. Yeah. Um, and you did talk about I love the, the, that we threw out Braintree there and Avante and some of the others. There's also some, some fascinating organizations here. We have good friends at uh, the CFSI, so that's Jennifer Teschner, um, that uh, I know I think I've tried to introduce uh, you to a couple the times. Um, they're, they're interesting. It's the Center for Financial Services Innovation. Jennifer founded that, I don't know, 2001, a long time Yeah, it's ago. been around for a while. Yeah, but this entire concept of um, walking, and I would say mid-tier. I think that's a better way to say it. It's not, but it can be the huge players through the product development lifecycle to, to really think about how do you launch and get out there. So, I mean, this stuff has existed. You know, it's funny. A lot of the stuff we talk about, it's not new, the concept of that. I think that even came up in our workshops, right? Some of the stuff you're talking about, it's not that it's new, it's that we drift away from it, right? This idea of fast and under pressure and you don't get, here, here. we're not giving you $55 million to get out there and prove your point, right? And thanks to the shift in technology and mobile and the ubiquity, if you will, uh, of tech, we're seeing this incredibly fast movement. Mm. I, I remember talking to a, a, a banker in Europe that was talking about the fact that he didn't think his bank had had to do proper business strategy in a, in a couple of decades. It's wow. like strategy with a big S. Strategy with a little S, sure. Product, positioning, the, you know, the pricing and all that kind of thing, fine. But not existential strategy. You know, where do we want to go? What kind of business do we want to be? And therefore, do you have the competences internally yeah. to look at it from that, from a, a business perspective rather than a, a limited banking perspective. And that fascinated me, this idea of, you know, actually suddenly you're in a, a much broader uh, contextual sort of strategic play and there are some real existential questions on that. Can I ask you some of the blockers? Because we talked about this, you know, in the past week and we've done that through multiple engagements. This startup mentality, mm. right? Which I, I think we romanticize way too much, right? But the ability to go... Jason's here to kill that. Yeah, <laughs> J- the J- yeah. Again... I really don't want to be known as Jason. Oh, who? Oh, the romance killer. Yeah, yeah that's the guy. Yeah. But but that 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 thought process... And I'm looking at you, Doug, because you've done this. You've you've started companies and, and run uh, that thin. And you and I, I, I... You've cried on my shoulder many times, yeah. by the way, over drinks. Yeah. Let's just be blunt. That's true. I mean, we... we We've been there. I don't work there anymore. Yes, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> now you advise. Yeah. It's amazing what scars can do. Right. And I, I think that's actually, that's why I like 11FS. That's one of the reasons I joined is the battle scars, right? Without a loss of enthusiasm, though. And I think that's, that's a trick because I've said this repeatedly, this concept of inertia within organizations. I don't care if it's a bank. I don't care if it's a retailer. Inertia and, and settling is absolutely the worst thing ever. Ever. It's a disease, and and culturally, it's something that can permeate. It's like a virus, mm-hmm. right? That goes through. On the flip side of that, so is this startup mentality and this thinking differently can be a virus too. So it's not just the tech side. And and Jason, that's why I've enjoyed you talking about this. You got to look at culture and process. Yeah, it's that 
it's that caricature of startup versus actual startup and 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 that there's something really sort of deep for me in in that the uh, it's one of those themes that i've seen in the last few weeks you go and talk to people and it's like are you doing like proper startup we're maxing out credit cards the wife's not going to be happy we really have to make something work or otherwise i'm sacking all my friends and telling investors and angels and my mum and dad that the 10 grand they put into the the business is gone um or are you doing the uh we're going to do a post-it note exercise on the wall and it's really just a project for me i get to go home um, but we get to use macbooks and and come up with good ideas and try and test them and that caricature of of startup of innovation is very different from that driven by first principles of we can't waste money or time we have to get something done and and, and even when it comes to talking about lean agile microservices startups actually the thing that drives those aren't that they are suddenly in vogue and fashionable it's that the market situation for finding new propositions that are viable and scalable business models requires a different way of working because you just can't waste the money and time that you used to uh, and spend that long term term doing so it's um it it, it it has become a bit of a hobby of mine to try and work to to ask people about so you are talking about doing microservices like why like why would the hell would you do that like uh, and and the people that that get it talk, start to talk about small team working being able to make massive change in parallel having 20 teams working on their you know their bank their service at a time and it's like yes okay now i see the business drive the business strategy that's leading to that architecture why are you doing agile you know why are you doing why are you look following following lean startup or doing customer development and the people that can connect it directly to to business strategic objectives great the people who can't are doing this cargo cult caricature of startup life well all the cool kids do it so we figure we'll do it as well and then we'll be successful you're like right yeah i'm not sure you will because i got a trello board in a backlog (laughs) exactly oh wow Exactly, and so therefore we're going to we're going to win because we have that car- we have the artifacts of the people who do it, but ultimately you know startups don't I don't know for of yours but we never mentioned agile or scrums no. or you just have to get, get shit get done, get shit yeah, done. Yeah. exactly yeah. and that's and again when when people ask me why I joined Eleven FS right because I, mean, I do get those questions what the hell <laughs> what Sam why did you join 11 FS Jesus you would not it's usually <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you what were you thinking to walk away what I really look for is folks that have been down that path right the folks that I said it before the battle scars right Jason you know two banking license you could just stop there um, you know Doug I, I know you personally I know the companies and I actually know the struggles that go with that that you've had to do Um uh, oh God, Ewan! Right? We don't give Ewan enough shout-outs on this podcast. Um, um, coming from Nutmeg, actually building, love him. Right? I mean, um, but the the idea of this isn't theory. They've done it, sure. and they know, and and they've screwed up. Right? At and they, they've also not done it because uh, because they've fallen in love with digital. That you know, I love it. It's amazing, and we just get to do stuff. It's that. It is that, you know, again, we're stripping that romance away and it's we're doing this in order to make an impact, in order to change the world, to live a great, 
end results. It's not about the project deliverables and how you do it and the the fashionable approach. It's the what are the ways and means and the the, the approach and the yeah. team in order to make it happen. Because now is not the same as it was 20 years ago. We don't have to build our own data centers and spend gazillions in setting up all this infrastructure, which meant the right thing to do at that time was to really take your time on the decision because this was always going to be a phenomenally big bet. Now it's a world of small bets and small fast bets. And how many of those bets can we make? Limited downside, potentially an unlimited upside. Uh, and that just takes a different approach. And I think connecting that that strategy, that that drive to how you do it, yeah. um, I think you can get lost. I really do. Yeah. So now we're going to be selfish because we man, we got about five minutes left in the show, and you know we were supposed to at the end of the year. You're always supposed to do these look backs and these look forwards, and Jesus God, I, and your inbox is full of hey, can you give me a one liner on your predictions for 2018 and looking back? And we actually did a whole show on that, the the Christmas show we did, which sounded like it was a blast, by the way. Um, and I actually like the approach that was taken. Go month by month, a reflection of what the biggest stories were. Um, originally, I asked you guys to come up with you know your three biggest stories and look forward to next year. Screw that. We're just going <laughs> to boil into one, all right? Um, because, it, and this is, it'd be interesting, Jason, to get your perspective a little bit from an outside view in, and Doug, you and I living this. Yeah. So the U.S. is a very interesting place right now, right? Um, overall, just just we're, I, we're definitely going through a pivotal time as a country, and we're going through changes, um, whether you love them this or not. This is very right? euphemistic. Yes, uh, um, we're drinking a <laughs> lot. We, we just had a, a, a um, whether you like it or not, right, whatever side of the coin you're on, we had a massive tax bill go through, biggest one in generations, or probably since the, the 80s, right, under Reagan. So we actually had something happen in D.C. that went through. <laughs> it's shocking. We're trying to, we're, we're, we're living with the after effects of that. But let's look at our industry as a whole. So let's talk about banking and let's focus in on the US. When we look forward to 2018, it's going to be an election year. Do we think anything from a regulatory standpoint? And we've talked about Durbin, we've talked about Dodd-Frank. Do you think, and I'm gonna look at you, Doug, do you think we're going to see movement on that? Do we, because that's been the big unknown since the election, right? What's gonna happen to the CFPB? What's going to happen on the regulatory side? Because coming out of 2008, and we've thrown those stats out, City with 30,000 compliance officers, JPMC yeah. hiring 15,000. What's going to happen? I mean, it feels it feels very much like the CFPB is going to get gutted. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how soon or how fast, but it, it feels like the general principles of, of why it was set up are... And, and are, is it okay are, if it gets gutted? To be to be oh, let's let's be right. honest. Is yeah. it okay if it gets gutted? Because I would say personally, um, I think there has been a shift to where the states, in a lot of instances, are standing up right and saying, "If good, they we'll are. take it on us." I think that I think the challenge, right, for for any any startup or or business operating in the financial space in the U.S. is that, I mean, every time you shift something to the states, that means that you've got to operate differently. You know, your rules have to be. You're actually adding every more state. overhead, yeah. right? If you've yeah, got I mean, a it's, I mean, it's it's one thing to have these sort of you know potentially restrictive uh, regulations coming down from the Fed, but but if but if they're if they're at least consistent across all 50 states, then then you've got something that you can manage. Um, you know, I have clients in the insurance space, and they uh, you know they you know uh, well yeah, I mean the rules are different all over the place, and so. Um, and it's, you know, if, if that's going to start happening more and more in, you know, on the account side of things, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a bit of a nightmare to, to implement. See, that's where I think 
actually another shout out to the FCA to the regulator in the UK the the primary objective of the FCA is to protect the integrity of the UK's financial system but the secondary objective is to ensure competition so it's not a case it's not the secondary thing isn't like we're going to protect customers directly we're going to yep. you know enforce it yeah sure but actually it's the fact that as long as we can we can maintain a, an effective market that when the market swings to extremes then then customers lose out that if you've got an oligopoly or a monopoly then very rarely is it good for consumers but have an, an effective marketplace and that that competition then drives benefits yeah so so Jason, welcome to the U.S. <laughs> um, we have this thing called net neutrality. <laughs> We're going to talk about monopolies. We talked about this over breakfast, right? Um, do I think that? So what's going to happen here? Is it a shift to where we're going to see this massive movement and an innovation because all this capital is freed up? Um, I'm not personally convinced of that. Um, uh, do I think that it's? It, will it be interesting times? Yes. I mean, you know, watch this space. You know. Um, we'll see. I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. At the end of 2018, over a vat of alcohol, <laughs> we'll do a debrief and and see where we're at. Um, I actually want to circle back to the, to the beginning of the show. We've got like two minutes left because, um, Doug, thanks for coming on board. The, the most important thing at 11FS is the people we bring on. Yeah, right, Jason? Definitely. It's this whole concept. Wait well, the, the most important thing to almost any new venture startup approach proposition development as we were saying to a client yesterday it's not like this amazing idea that no one else has ever or thought technology of technology that doesn't exist it's like who is that team and how are they going to make it work and and that's as important for us as, as it is for all of our clients so oh, it's, it's great to have doug on board you, you guys he's guys, blushing i'm, which I'm is blushing nice. well, i get it there's one little tear but i want I, the story though is interesting because if you remember we we joked around about yeah. this how the two of you met so oh, I, sure. Yeah. So, uh, so Sam calls me, right? I mean, Sam called me up. This is, must be three months ago or so. And Sam says, um, so, you know, I've, I've gone to work for 11FS. Um, you were like, why? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 11, 11 what? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it goes to 11. Uh, <laughs> 11. 11. Um, he says, uh, I've gone to work for 11FS. Uh, one of our co-founders, uh, Jason, is in, is in your city. Um, uh, you should really go have breakfast with him. And I'm like, I'm like, sure, I'll have, I'll have breakfast with anybody. It's like, you know, and uh, you're, staying, you're staying at a cool hotel, the Aqua downtown. And, and uh, it was a beautiful day. I, I went and, and uh, actually put on some kind of nice clothes because I wasn't, I, I wasn't I didn't sure what was going him. on. Yeah. yeah, Jason's wearing a, a shirt that says winging it. Right. <laughs> we haven't shaved all week. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I show up and, and Jason's in, in, in t-shirt and flip-flops and, you know, 11FS garb. And, um, and, and uh, we sit down and have a really great chat about um, all things fintech and, and some things, you know, Chicago, some things music. And, um, and uh, at the end of it, Jason, you said, uh, so why do you think Sam had us get together? And I said, I, I mean... I don't know, lots of common interests. And, you know, <laughs> he thought it was a good setup. And uh, yeah, we like this idea of, and Jason has said this multiple times, especially when you're looking at people, this idea of flirt, meet, date, marry. And it, and it works well. And, it, and we've adopted that. And, and at the end of the day, when you do something like this, you get this magic, right? And we get guys like, and, yeah. and women like you on their team. There's, there's one more part of this, though. Oh, right? damn. So, I so, knew something was so, wrong. So, right. 
like not more than five minutes after I got in my uh, got got in my Uber to go home, uh, I get a call and Jason, I mean, and uh, and Sam, you said uh, he said. Well, well, Jason's in. <laughs> and I like Jason's in. And Jason's what? in for what? And what? And what? Thank you. He I'm says, very he proud. Says, he says you did a good job on your yeah. interview. <laughs> but that's the so best that that way, was? guys. That's that's how this works. Um, if if anything that we talked about today perked your interest, if it didn't, go ahead and start getting your resume ready. I don't know what else to tell you. Right? Pick a, pick a different industry. Let me help you out. Is this like a crowd voting as whether Doug should stay or not? Oh, uh, oh. Off the island. Yeah. Wait till you hear the music, everybody. But really, from what we talked about, reach out to us. Um, I, that, that's my biggest recommendation. Reach out to Jason, to David, to Simon, to me, to Doug. Um, but we're gonna. On that note, we're gonna wrap up another, I think, fantastic State of the Union show here from Chicago. Hopefully, you get a feel for the city. Don't forget 11FS. The, the people who brought you this podcast, we consider ourselves a challenger consultancy group that takes all the romance, by the way, out of this. But our goal is to create and launch new generation financial propositions from our clients. Don't you feel for a media team because they write this and then we go and just bastardize the hell out of it. You make it up. You yep. wing it. We are taking a startup approach to making a difference, but we really are. I, I like how I think David or Jason says it. Try the hoodie on. Just try it. Come talk to us. Go On Twitter, go to 11FS team. Um, you can go uh, basically and go to hello at 11FS.com. If you want to send us an email, we'd love to talk to you and reach out. It's amazing how much after we do a podcast like this, we get reached out to by organizations, and it'll change your life, right, Doug? If you, yeah, and if you're in Chicago and you want to say hi, Doug, at 11FS.com. I like being able to say that out loud. It's, it's perfect. Nice. If you like what you heard this week, most importantly, subscribe. I believe we topped over 100 reviews now. On iTunes, Ooh. 105. 105 star reviews. Ooh, that is fantastic. I love that. I, I want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Sam Mall. I'm Jason Bates. I'm Doug Bobbinhouse. We'll talk to you next time.